G'day and welcome to the H-Stage, a program that looks at issues and matters affecting older Australians made possible by Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. Welcome everyone. I am Brendan Toffer here in the Bendigo Bank Studio. Good to have your company. Well, this week on the program, it's World Elder Abuse Day. That's coming up this coming Saturday. And ahead of it, we speak with Cathy Wood of Relationships Australia about elder abuse and another initiative as well, which they're calling Let's Talk. This a policy designed to help families get to a place where they can cope with the pressures of an ageing parent or the ageing Australians. Relationships and support on offer as well, but it is World Elder Abuse Day and Cathy Wood has some pretty dire observations to make. The World Health Organisation, for instance, estimates that perhaps one in six of older people, elderly individuals, have been victims of some sort of abuse in the last year. You know, it's pretty, it's a growing concern and I think as, you know, we're trying to understand just what is involved and how prevalent it is. Yes, Cathy Wood and elder abuse a little bit later on in the program. Also this week on The Age Stage, we follow up with a, a chap who first appeared on the program back in February, John Gould. You might remember he raised the issue of franking credits back then and also predicted an impact on the general election. And he also correctly predicted the dire consequences for Labor. I think Bill Shorten's big mistake with this was to put a label on franking credits as a gift rather than, you know, as if it was some sort of favour bestowed by government rather than recognition of taxes paid by hard-working and self-supporting investors providing for their own retirement. Yes, the pronunciant uh, John Gould returning to the age stage this week. All that a little bit later on, something to look forward to. But first of all, we're off to Sydney on the age stage this week and an age pensioner who has been successful in claiming back substantial pension reductions after Centrelink incorrectly assessed an inheritance they had come by. Meridian Lawyers, based in Sydney, says Centrelink is likely to have done this to many other pensioners as well over the past 15 years and is now considering a class action. Well, to find out more and also catch up on the latest on deeming rates as well, which are defined as those rates set by the government to work out income from financial investments and assets, we turn to Paul Vestige. Paul, of course, is Policy Manager of the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association. Good morning, Paul. What's going on? Firstly, this decision over investments and inheritance and a possible class action. Yeah, we were contacted by uh, a law firm that is going to run or going to try and run a class action after being successful in the administrative appeals tribunal uh, in an action for on behalf of a pensioner against Centrelink. I, you know, it's 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 not something that is going to apply to everyone. This is really for people who have inherited uh, money and may have been cut, on, uh, or their pension may have been cut as a as a result of of receiving money. So it, it's going to apply to a limited number of people. And I understand that the the issue is the timing of when you uh, are su- supposed to have received the inheritance. Centrelink, it, it seems, uses date on which uh, it becomes clear that you will receive this inheritance. And in the administrative tribunal uh, case, it was decided that it should be actual date of receipt of the money. That is the dispute. And if there are people who, who think, you know, this sounds like something that happened to me, then they really need to uh, to contact this law firm and 
see if, uh, if something can be done about it. Well, that law firm is Meridian Lawyers up in New South Wales, and uh, contact us if you want further details, or of course you at the Combined Pensioners and Superannuate Association. But this is a big win against a government agency. Uh, yeah, it's not easy to win against Centrelink. I think uh, the, uh, this law firm was quite quite chuffed that they um, they achieved that, and uh, and quite rightly, they um, they concluded that if that you know if that applied to one person, that there might be others as well, and um, and that's why they're doing what they're doing. And indeed, they think that this uh, could cover a period of some fifteen years as well. So anybody that is um, affected in this way over the last 15 years could, in the view of the lawyers, on the basis of the case that they've just won, have an opportunity to maybe uh, prosecute their cause. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, I, I would encourage anyone who thinks that it might apply to, to them to uh, to contact these lawyers because uh, the pension's not much as, as it is. And if you uh, if you can claw back some of the money that um, that has been unfairly withheld, that, that's a good thing. Well, it would be fantastic compensation for those that uh, might find themselves in this position. And so basically then what the thrust of the argument is that this stuff should be isolated and immune from consideration when pension calculations are made. Not uh, not uh, indefinitely. Uh, certainly, you know, if you receive an inheritance, obviously your, your the, the value of your assets increases. And um, and that will be reflected in the in the pension calculation. That is that is not an unfair thing. It's just about the timing. Do you start being cut in your pension at the time that clear that you are going to receive an inheritance, uh, which is what Centrelink did, or is it going to be the time that you actually receive the money in your bank account, which well, is what the administrative uh, tribunal said uh, should apply? And what a very reasonable decision by the administrative tribunal that was. Yeah, it sounds like a no-brainer, but, you know, when Centrelink's involved, uh, there's no, no, no such thing as a no-brainer. Which, of course, leads us elegantly on to uh, other news, of course, which uh, you guys at the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association have been alerting us to, and indeed uh, the Federal Reserve deciding to reduce interest rates. Now, that's fabulous, of course, for homeowners and prospective uh, businesses and so on, but there's a concern for pensioners, of course, uh, not only is there a, a less of a return on their investments, but income investment income is, is determined by deeming rates. And these are used to work out income from financial and investment assets and uh, set their payment rates. Now, these are being unfairly and wrongly affected by these interest rate cuts, in your view. Yes, um Look, the deeming rates, and uh, many in your audience will, will understand uh, what, what, what deeming rates are. The higher deeming rate at the moment is uh, three and a quarter percent, whereas the current sort of typical uh, annual term deposit rate is two percent. That is a huge gap. It means that if you have money in the term deposit, Centrelink will assume that you are getting 3.25 percent interest, whereas in fact you are getting two percent in interest. And Centrelink will cut your pension on the basis of 3.25%. It, it is, um, it, it's quite obvious that people who have their money in term deposits are going to lose pension that they shouldn't be losing. And, of course, the, the deeming rates are, are set at a level which is far too high. It uh, needs to be lowered. Well, it needs to be lowered. And why isn't the government accountable? I mean, you point out in your article that it uh, was way back in 2015 that the deeming rates were last set. Why aren't they set on a sort of monthly, half-yearly basis? 
exactly. That's uh, that's that's our point. The uh, the pension is, uh, is is calculated on the basis of of CPI increases and, uh, and and other economic developments. It's all very clear and transparent how it's calculated. But when it comes to the deeming rate, which has just as uh, as, uh, as as great an influence on on actual pension payments, uh, there is this veil of, of secrecy. You know, it's, it's at the discretion of the Minister for Social Services to carry out a review of these deeming rates, that is, you know, whenever he feels like it. And when he does, or when he or she does, she in, at, at the moment, then, of, of course, there is no transparency as to the methodology used. How, how do you arrive at a, at a deeming rate? It's, it's, all, it's all hush-hush and um, uh, very unfair to pensioners. Well, it is very unfair. I mean, it could almost be called rotting. I mean, basically, they're estimating a, a value uh, of almost 1.25% over and above of what you're actually getting. Well, yes, yes. And, of course, uh, you know, when, when, when a government does it, it's not called rotting. It's, uh, it's using, using discretion, but um, it's very unfair. And, of course, pensioners have been used over the years to deeming rates being lower than the term deposit rates. That's historically how it's always been. But uh, because you know, the cash rate set by the Reserve Bank has, has gone down so much, obviously there isn't all that much room to, to have rate, deeming rates lower than the term deposit rate. But it still should be, should be watched. People should not be losing out because of, uh, of deeming rates. That's not what they're for. Do we know how much the government is making out of this? I haven't calculated it. It's very difficult to, to calculate because you don't know how many people actually have money in term deposits and, and so forth. But um, I've worked out that a, you know, a couple with, say, $130,000 in term deposits, which is uh, a modest amount of life savings, is going to lose, lose more than $200 a year as a result of the most recent interest rate cut by the Reserve Bank. And that's two hundred dollars that they shouldn't be losing. Sounds like they need Meridian lawyers to go and test their case out and maybe get some compensation. I think there is a much, much, much more scope for action. Yes, whether it's legal or not, but uh, we'll, we'll certainly be doing our bit. So, what about the remonstrations? What is happening? Is anybody organising themselves to take the government to task? Um, well, obviously, uh, the opposition has taken notice. Uh, Labor's put out a press release, uh, basically saying what what. What I've been saying here, we have uh, we, we started a while ago to try and and get to the bottom of how and um, deeming rates are set and uh, what what triggers a review of deeming rates. That that was before the election, uh, and we made an application under freedom of information uh, legislation to the Department of Social Services, but that was uh, that was knocked back on, on the grounds that it was none of our business, basically, and we appealed was knocked back again and it is now uh, with the uh, the information commissioner who is going to uh, to review this and we, we're hoping that you know just bringing lifting the rock as it as it were uh, bringing transparency to the issue will make the the government see reason and uh, will make it known uh, to people that there is something wrong here and that needs to be rectified. Well, it is interesting, isn't it? And maybe you really touched on something quite sensitive given the recent election outcomes, of course, and um, the, the policy of cracking down on self-funded retirees. There's obviously a group of people that uh, can flex their muscles and can get quite uh, involved and concerned about issues like this. Yes, and 
we should we should certainly uh, pursue it. Uh, people should write to their local member about it. Write to their local paper if you like. So it's 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 creating all this this media attention that will force the government's hands. You've got to remember that you know the government's just won an election, so it's uh, it's it's got three years to um, before it really starts worrying about being re-elected. So yeah, but people need to become vocal about this issue. Well, and in the short term, of course, the government is profiting by the fact that uh, it's overcharging people by 1.25%. The other interesting thing is, I I just wonder how we can force the government's hand in the short to medium term. Well, there's no uh, sure sure method. Obviously, it's it's putting the the very reasonable case that we have, and and also using the the opposition and the cross benches in in the upper house and uh, in the lower house federal parliament to, um, uh, to, to, to to take action on that and that's that's certainly what we're doing we're making them aware of uh, of what's happening here it just seems so incredibly unfair that people are being denied uh, you know the profits of their own hard work and endeavors and um, they're being denied uh, that by a government which is obviously a little bit uh, hesitant to move in this area yeah, I mean, uh, the example I just quoted, uh, $200 uh, lost by a couple with what I think is, is very modest savings of $130,000, you know, for a government that, that that campaigned against its opposition on the basis that the opposition was imposing a, a retiree tax, they really got to take a good, hard look at themselves. They do indeed. Paul Verstige, thank you very much indeed for your time today on The Age Stage. Paul Verstige, Policy Coordinator at the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association. If you do want to get involved, do get in touch with them up there in New South Wales or perhaps, as Paul said, uh, maybe a letter to the local newspaper in your part of Australia. This is The Age Stage on FM. back after the break. And it's great to have your company on RPPFM this Thursday morning. Welcome everyone, Brendan Telfer coming to you from the Bendigo Bank Studio, our friends at Australian Unity and Aftercare Australasia, looking after the age stage each and every Thursday, and for that we thank them very much indeed. Well, this Saturday it's World Elder Abuse Awareness Day, and there's also another big initiative that's been launched this last week as well. It's called Let's Talk. To find out a little bit about that, let's talk to Cathy Wood, who's the General Strategic uh, Planner at Relationships Australia and uh, New South Wales. Cathy Wood, welcome to the Age Stage. Good morning, Brendan. Cathy, two major initiatives this week, then, as far as Relationships Australia is concerned. Let's talk and awareness about elder abuse. Let's talk, firstly, about Let's Talk. What is that and how does that work? So it's a service that is being provided to older people and their family members where they might be struggling with having to make some difficult decisions around ageing-related issues or where there might be conflict amongst some of the adult siblings about what is happening in terms of caring or looking after the needs of the, their, their older parents. And, of course, the whole, I guess, focus is to ensure that some of those challenges are are able to be sorted so that relationships are preserved and it doesn't escalate into what we know is a really a quite frequent phenomenon in our society, which is elder abuse. 
indeed. Elder abuse we'll get to in just a moment. Let's just talk about the dynamic which is going on in Australian families. More and more of us older Australians want to stay at home. There's therefore an expectation that perhaps family members are going to step up and keep a bit of an eye on us. As we get more infirm, that responsibility and that relationship changes a little bit. Are you giving us some guarantees about helping that dynamic? Yes, the short answer yes, and that uh, with a focus very much on wanting to really uh, ensure that central to the whole discussion is hearing the older person's needs and wishes, respecting their rights, and really ensuring that the discussion that then happens is taking that into account rather than that being dismissed or justified in other ways um, and but what we're most aiming for is for for people to really come together and really hear other points of view really understand what are the reasons what are the needs that might be driving certain approaches often often relationships uh, the current relationship is the consequence of history of uh, what's been going on within that family or between family members that might really have evolved over multiple generations. So it can sometimes be really quite complex unpacking that and at other times it really is a case of just getting the key people in the room and having a conversation, hence the name of the project, which is Let's Talk. You must have some very talented arbitrators working for you because I could imagine that these would be highly emotive and at times very sensitive discussions. Yes, no, you're absolutely right, Brendan. And um, what we what we do ensure is that those conversations are facilitated by our staff who are trained in mediation and trained in counselling and particularly have had training in elder mediation, which really, um, I guess, pictures the understanding of how do we how do we facilitate mediation, taking into account ageing issues as well as issues around elder law and things like that. Who funds and underwrites Relationships Australia? Um, Relationships Australia, the, the broad suite of programs we offer is funded in a number of ways. It's funded through federal government funding, through state government funding, and through other sources of, of funding as well, but primarily federal and state funding. And this particular program that we're talking about, Let's Talk, this has been funded by um, the New South Wales government through its Women's New South Wales Division, which sits under Family and Community Services and Disabilities. But um, a program similar to Let's Talk are also being funded in other parts of Australia as well. And really, I guess that's what Relationships Australia, right across Australia, is um, really starting to evolve and develop, which is the provision of service for older people and their family members around um, where, where there might be family conflict and challenges in decision. As more of us want to stay at home and more of us... It would seem, uh, talking to a couple of people that contribute to the program, get more and more frustrated about uh, the impost on government services and their frustrations there. 
nothing can be done in the domestic situation as mum or dad gets a little bit more infirm or a little bit more forgetful. Um, how are those frustrations worked out? Can you give people access to specialised services? Um, so you're talking about some of the frustrations that emerge when people are in caring responsibility. Correct. Just basically yeah. as, as, a, yeah. as an effect of um, yeah. you know a machine that is growing and having to grow very yeah. quickly yeah. with more yeah. government resources, yeah. there are lags in terms of service yeah. provision. Yeah. Uh, that, I would say, could probably compound frustrations at home where a daughter or a son is looking after mum or dad. Uh, they don't have the type of backup and follow-up that they might need, and as a consequence, the relationship with the elder does start to deteriorate. Yes, yes. No, look, we, we, uh, we obviously, you know, absolutely understand that and understand really the complexity behind that too. And um, what we can't offer is being able to provide those backup services. What we can offer is referral to those sorts of services that might be in a position to provide that backup. I think it's really important to be really clear that the service we're providing is really bringing people together to facilitate the conversation where there has been fallout or conflict between family members and potentially where there has even been some kind of psychological and at times financial abuse going on. Um, but we, we're in a partnership with the Elder Abuse Helpline. We're obviously uh, working closely in, with a whole range of organisations in the welfare sector, in the health sector, in the legal sector, so that where it's appropriate or where it's needed, we're able to link that person in with those services as well. But absolutely take on board the, um, the impact and the stresses that can come from caring for someone with high needs where there perhaps aren't the sufficient level of services to support that is really intense and can be a very, very difficult period to negotiate. As I say, I'm, uh, I'm in awe of the services that you're providing and I want to congratulate you, but it must be a very, very difficult uh, field that you involve yourselves in. And we're going to have to get this home care uh, system right, aren't we, whereby you do probably get more involved with siblings and the carers of this world as more and more people exercise their option to stay within yeah. their own home. That's right, that's right, that's right. So that the more people can have the conversations around what's involved, what's the planning that might need to go into that, what's the the backup support that people might require. I think, look, it's, it's just ensuring those conversations are had earlier rather than it escalating to a point where, uh, you know, where people really fall out of relationship and or at times, as we say, it might precipitate into some level of abuse going on as well. Well, it's a great initiative. Let's Talk, currently underway and launched this week. And we're speaking to Cathy Wood from uh, Relationships Australia. Um, Cathy, it's World Elder Abuse Awareness Day this coming Saturday. And, of course, the greatest manifestation of some of these dynamics that you're seeing in these relationships can be elder abuse. Um, we're getting to know it a little bit more. Do we know enough about world or elder abuse? Uh no, we don't. <laughs> and in fact, um, the Australian Institute for Family Studies has been commissioned by the federal government to undertake or try and establish a prevalence you know, study of just what are the rates of abuse going on within Australia. 
Um, we know that, for instance, in 2017, 2018, there were more than, well, there were close to 11,000 calls made to elder abuse hotlines across Australia. But at, what we also know is that a large percentage of elder abuse cases go unreported and um, the World Health Organisation, for instance, estimates that perhaps one in six of older people, elderly individuals, have been victims of some sort of abuse in the last year. So it's, you know, it's pretty, um, it's, it's a growing concern and I think as you know, we're trying to understand just what is involved and how prevalent it is, but it's really an emerging area of awareness and I guess that's partly the intention of World Elder Abuse Day to help grow that awareness but also really advocate much more strongly for those who have been affected by elder abuse. And that's what a lot of this is about. It's advocacy, isn't it? And I'm just wondering about a very infirm or frail elder. How do they have the temerity, the guts and the fortitude to be able to dob in uh, caring family members who might be getting abusive, uh, rifling through a bank account, uh, even turning them out in some instances? some terrible stories about elder abuse, extreme elder abuse down here in our part of the world. I mean, one outrageous case is this old couple living in a tin shed out the back of a house, no flooring, literally the garden shed, because the kids had taken over the family home and that's where they were going to confine mum and dad. I mean, there's some outrageous, outrageous stories that we've heard uh, down, down in our part of the world. I mean, and, and again, I suppose it speaks to the sort of the frailty and the vulnerability of the elder person in this relationship that they don't want to bring attention to it, given the nature of the culture within which they were brought up historically, and they maybe are not powerful advocates on of their own rights. and 
financial abuse that are the most common forms of abuse that uh, occur for older people. What rights or what arbitration is there if elder abuse in its various forms is identified amongst a family? Is there some form of arbitration that can bring, bring people back from the brink? I mean, you know, surely the, the elder people in the relationship would not want to sever the ties with children no, and grandchildren no, and stuff. No, is this, no. Once they report, are they going to fall off the precipice and take the jump and never to have that relationship back? Or are there mechanisms whereby... The, the abuse can be repaired in some way or arbitrated? Um, look, I, obviously everyone would want to think that um, the, 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 the relationship could be preserved in some way and oftentimes it, it can be. But, we, I mean, that's where things, uh, services such as the legal services, the senior rights, senior rights service, uh, Justice Connect, you know, organisations like that can actually, can, I guess, Address and respond to the legal, um, about you know the legal avenues available, but also do that in such a way that potentially, and that's where we're working quite closely with them as well, where it might be possible, then they might refer to us, or they indeed have workers within their own organisations that can perhaps look at how can the legal avenues be addressed, but paying due attention to how do we in some way try and preserve and enable that relationship going forward. Cathy Wood, this is an extraordinary uh, service that you provide. How did you end up in relationships, Australia, may I ask? <laughs> oh, gosh, we're going 10 years, no, 12 years back. Um, look, as it turns out, my the organisation I previously worked for was a, a state peak body called Carers New South Wales, so you know, very much speaking to what we've talked about earlier around the relationship of carers with their family members and just the impact of caring on people. Um, and in some ways, partly through that, I got into Relationships Australia, but have done a variety of things whilst I've been at Relationships Australia, but more recently, um, been involved a bit more actively in this particular area as we start to discover and uncover the, um, the extent of challenge that is going on within families as our, our population ages and just what can we do to really help build in more um, support and strengthen those family, that family communication. Is the government um, listening? Is the government listening to you? Well, well, yes. In one sense, I mean, could could you know? Are we looking for the opportunity for ongoing funding? Absolutely, because the Let's Talk project has only been funded for three years, and in fact, we're already through two and a half years of that. Um, and but we do absolutely know that at a federal level and at a state level, there is recognition of the need to really respond to the incidents and address. Um, elder abuse happening and there is in fact a national plan um, to respond to it, the abuse of older Australians that was brought down in March this year and goes through till 2023 and that's setting up a number of service supports, it's setting up a, a helplines, you know, it, 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 there's a really quite an effort to provide a coordinated response. But it is a huge, it's a huge challenge and um, not something that's necessarily mitigated 
overnight. Kathy Wood, to you and the team, we wish you all power because this is a, a monstrous job that you've set yourselves and uh, we congratulate you on the work done and uh, we look forward to you continuing your successes going forward and uh, let's, this Saturday, remember World Elder Abuse Day. It's very, very important. Kathy Wood, thanks for taking time to talk to us on the Age Stage. Thank you very much, Brendan. Kathy Wood of Relationships Australia, and we put Kathy on notice as well that she's going to be joining the RPPFM Age Stage team on an irregular basis. It's always good to have her input. When we come back after the break, a man who first appeared on the Age Stage in early February. Back then, he gave voice to pensioner concerns over the Labor Party's franking credits policy. Back then he said that the Labour Party was courting danger and that it was upsetting many older Australians with its policy. As it turned out, he was right. John Gore returns to the H-H after this break. This is FM. It's a Thursday morning, 98.7, 98.3. We're broadcasting from our wonderful Bendigo Bank Studios here in downtown Mornington. Well, we've met our next guest before. In fact, we spoke to John Gould, a proudly self-funded retiree. He's up on the southern New South Wales coast last February. At that time, John spoke to us and alerted us to the Labor Party's election policy of cracking down on self-funded retirees. He said, and quite rightly, that it would become a major election issue. So I wanted to catch up with John and just see whether he's um, glowing in self-righteous acclaim, having predicted correctly that indeed the election policy would damage the Labor Party. John Gore, welcome back to the aid stage. Thank you, Brendan. So, really, you were right all along, John. Um, it's probably uh, more good luck than good judgment, uh, Brendan. But franking credits, uh, as was a very important symptom, uh, but not the overall cause of why Labor lost the election, as I see it. Nevertheless, it was a place where people felt aggrieved, and it seemed to have a bit of a ripple effect, John. It certainly did. Uh, it became a, it became a symptom for uh, the overall cause of the election loss, which was the reality that most Australians are more cautious and more conservative than the inner city elites realised. The national mood was more about lower taxes, smaller government, and strong borders than it was about um, higher taxes. Uh, in the in this case, franking credits, bigger government. Australia, Australia giving away uh, its cheap energy advantage uh, when it has huge reserves of coal and gas. Yeah, we probably won't get into that on the age stage. We're more interested, I guess, in sort of shitting at home into the older Australian discussion because yeah. we, have, we have spoken to a couple of people as well since the election who suggested that really it did resonate, this whole call that you had identified in February, not only with the people directly affected by the amount of return on their investments, but also by family members, younger generations as well, who were concerned at what, poor old grandma and granddad were going to do in their retirement, given the fact that all of a sudden there was going to be an impost on their hard-earned. Exactly, and and they were also worried about the bank of mum and dad, I think, Brendan. Uh, the bank of mum and dad is the fifth largest lender after the four major banks. Well, the Bendigo, the Bendigo Bank would be claiming that right at the moment, but it would have to, <laughs> it would probably be very close to it, I figure. Yeah, well, families were very worried about the uh, inheritance or death tax 
uh, aspects of the franking credits policy from Labor because it would reduce um, anything that the old folks wanted to leave to the family. So the next question is, do you think this is a rallying call? Is this the start of um, grey power in Australia really beginning to flex its muscles? I mean, it's, what, close to a million people now. Are we going to hear and see more of grey power in the future going forward politically? Inevitably, because um, um, uh, the older age groups are going to make up a larger and larger proportion um, of both of voters and of... um, people who become dependent on uh, the government in one way or another. Or dependent on mum and dad and grandpa and grandma going forward as well, and if, if you're exactly. right. I think Bill Shorten's big mistake with this was to put a label on frank, franking credits as a gift rather than, you know, as if it was some sort of uh, favour bestowed by government rather than recognition of taxes paid by hard-working and self-supporting investors providing for their own retirement. A sense of Aussie fair play at work here as well. And Mr Bowen's comments are prob- probably didn't help as well, suggesting that those that didn't like it could go elsewhere and perhaps vote for somebody else. Well, within hours of the uh, Labor's uh, election defeat on the 18th of May, uh, they were already back-flipping on franking credits. And Chris Bowen... Um, was basically sacked as the shadow treasurer. He was the author of this policy. So, John, you must be feeling pretty comfortable about yourself and pretty good then. I mean, basically, can you build a little bit of a defence around older people's entitlements going forward? Is this a, a warding for both sides of politics, you think? I think so. There's no question that franking credits were uh, basically a property right, um, the tax of 30% had been paid by the company, which which gave the retiree the dividend. So the idea that this was a gift or that tax had not been paid or that it was an unfair loophole was nonsense. And I think... Uh, uh, the voters recognised that on the 18th of May. Well, you certainly got some cut through. There are a number of people that certainly agreed with you, obviously, and uh, they took their grievances to the ballot. Very much so, yeah. Uh, see, franking credits was a Labor policy in the 2016 election over three years ago, but it didn't get much attention because people didn't expect Labor to win that election. By 2018, the situation was different. Uh, Labor was ahead in every opinion poll and they were expected to win. So this policy came under the microscope more. That's what happened. So so the headlines and the conclusions that we're going to draw out of all this is, John, that we're going to hear and see more of grey power going forward. I think that I think that's inevitable, Brendan. Yes. John Gould on the line from the beautiful Sapphire Coast up there in southern New South Wales. John, thank you very much indeed. And that is just about it for this week's edition of the Age Stage. But before I go, for those of you living locally here, the Mornington Peninsula Shire is calling for community feedback on the development of a new positive ageing strategy which it says it wants to ensure people on the peninsula are supported to age well and to promote optimal health and well-being for everyone. The peninsula has the second highest or second oldest population in Victoria with over 30% of all residents over the age of 60. That compared to the Melbourne metropolitan average of just 17%. So this number is expected to increase to more than 33% by 2030. And these figures highlight why council down here 
is bringing positive aging to the fore and they want your input into this positive aging policy. So the Shire wants to know what's working in your local area and what it needs to improve. All information ideas gathered from the feedback will help shape a positive aging strategy for the Shire and the Shire, as a consequence, is going to be holding a series of community forums across the peninsula and will also gather feedback online and via post. Submissions are now open, but they close at 5pm on the 26th of July. So go to the Shire website for more information and uh, check out what they're saying there. But uh, the Positive Ageing Initiative by the Monaghan Shire to be supported and they are looking for your input, so there's no excuse. And that is it uh, for this week's edition of The Age Stage. Before I go, a chance to thank our guest of the week, Paul Vestige of the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association, Cathy Wood, a strategist with Relationships Australia, and John Gore, a happy and proudly retired Australian. Don't forget, it is World Elder Abuse Day this Saturday. Do support it and uh, do give it some thought. I am Brendan Telfer. The Age Stage returns in seven days' time. Speak to you then. Stay safe.